Hi, and welcome to Screens in Focus podcast, where we share and connect as we spotlight our favorite shows and movies. I'm Diana. I'm Brittany. And this is episode eight. Today, we'll be reviewing season two, episodes nine and ten of The Walking Dead with the lens of morality. Before we dive in, how are you doing today, Diana? I'm doing good. Today is Easter, and it's also April Fool's Day, which you April Fool's me earlier, (laughs) (laughs) and I fell for it. (laughs) How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I am. I had Friday off. I'm getting back on my workout grind, and I'm just feeling good. Awesome. Okay, Diana, it's time for our recaps. Okay, so Season 2, Episode 9, Trigger Finger. The group at the farm realizes Lori is missing, and Carol asks Daryl for help, but he says he is no longer the errand boy. Lori awakens after her crash and narrowly escapes two walkers before proceeding to look for Rick. Shane finds her and lies to her that Rick is back at the farm to get her to go back with him. Once they arrive, he spills the beans, revealing she is pregnant to everyone. Meanwhile, Rick, Herschel, and Glenn encounter the rest of the group looking for their two friends. Rick tries to reason with the men, but they proceed to open fire. The gunmen mobilize to escape the walkers, leaving one of their own, Randall, impaled on a fence. Herschel and Glenn meet up with Rick, who wants to save Randall. Walkers are closing in on them, and Herschel and Glenn don't have enough time to amputate his leg, so Rick rips his leg off the fence just in time to make it out. Alone, Lori asks Shane what he did to Otis. Shane says he did what he did because he loves her. Lori tells him that she told Rick everything and realizes that Shane is delusional. Rick, Herschel, and Glenn return with a blindfolded Randall, who they plan to release away from the farm as soon as he is healed. But Shane thinks this is dangerous. In the tent, Lori tells Rick, what Shane did to Otis, that he loves her, thinks the baby is his, and that Rick can't protect them. She reiterates, he is dangerous, Rick. Season 2, episode 10, 18 miles out. So Rick tells Shane that he needs to get on board and just accept that Lori is with him and that the new baby will be Rick's too. Maggie feels guilty because Glenn basically blamed her for him freezing while he was out with Rick and Herschel, but Lori tells her Glenn is responsible for his own actions. It's not Maggie's fault. Duh. Men are awful for making women feel this way. <laughs> Beth wants to commit suicide, and while Lori and Maggie try to convince her that there's still a life to make, Andrea gives her the choice because she felt it was taken away from her. Becomes the Andrea show, because her experience is the only one that matters. Poor Andrea. Just kidding. Beth slits her wrists, but says sorry, and obviously wants to live. She's like 15, just coming to terms with the damn world, okay? Shane and Rick get into a fight, which is what everyone was waiting for. Let's be honest, you don't not fight the dude who slept with your wife. Come on. Anyway, they try to drop off Randall, but he knows Maggie and where the farm is. So now Rick has to really think about whether or not to kill him. Okay, Diana, so where did you see the theme of morality in these two episodes? I see the theme of morality with Rick when he decides they can't leave Randall behind when his leg gets impaled on that fence. Glenn reminds him that Randall tried to kill them, but Rick says he's just a kid. At the last minute, Rick rips Randall's leg off the fence and they take him with them. Once Randall is healed, Rick and Shane drive him 18 miles out, hence the title of the episode, to release him away from the farm, but Shane feels he is a threat and wants him dead. At one point, they begin to walk away, leaving Randall bound up and alive, but Randall says he can't survive on his own and divulges that he knows Maggie, which complicates matters and stops Rick and Shane in their tracks. 
Randall doesn't realize he just put a nail in his coffin because they are afraid he will meet up with the group and come back to the farm and attack them. Later, Rick says to Shane, it is most likely the kid will have to die, but that he needs a night to think about this. Killing a person shouldn't be easy. So Shane is reactive to these types of decisions, but Rick needs to think things through to see if there's any other options and for it to sit right with him. Later on, Lori tells Rick that she is afraid of Shane. He is dangerous and that she thinks he killed Otis because he loves her. Rick says that he killed two men himself because he loves Lori and Carl and the baby and wants to protect them. Lori points out the similarities of what Rick just said to how Shane feels about her and feels he will kill anyone that gets in the way, which includes Rick. Rick has a conversation with Shane in the middle of the road when they're taking to dump off Randall, explaining he knows what happened between Shane and Lori and that he wanted to bust his teeth in but didn't, and that it wasn't a sign of weakness. He says he will stay alive to keep them alive. It is his wife, his son, and his baby. So fast forward, Rick and Shane get into a physical fight about what to do with Randall, which really, I think, like what Brittany said, was he slept with his wife. So he was really beating the crap out of him. So the fight accidentally unleashes a bunch of walkers on them, which traps Shane in a bus. The walkers are all over and Rick contemplates whether to help Shane. But as he and Randall walk off, he sees the two sheriff walkers on the ground, which to me signified to him Rick and Shane's partnership. So he goes back and rescues Shane from the walkers, reminds him again that his family is his and hands Shane his gun. All seems settled for the moment. So the morality check is this. Rick initially saves Randall, but realizes they will probably have to kill him anyways. Rick killed two people for the safety of his family and has to live with that. And then Rick had to deal with Shane, who loves his wife killed Otis and wants to kill Randall. And he almost leaves Shane on the bus, but can't and seems to still trust him since he handed him his gun back. So I think that's very interesting because I looked up the definition of morality and it says morality speaks of a system of behavior in regards to standards of right or wrong behavior. The word carries the concepts of moral standards with regard to behavior, moral responsibility referring to our conscience and a moral identity or one who is capable of right or wrong action. And I think it plays into us telling stories and how we all claim to like tell the truth. With Shane, he believes that it's the truth that what he and Lori had was more than just hooking up. Mm-hmm. Lori believes she was just gaining comfort in him from like during a troubling time. And this is also why it's hard to rely on only witness accounts of what happened in courts of law, right? Like there's always some difference of an account of what really happened. It just depends on who's telling that story. It just made me wonder, like, I wonder if Shane would have turned out this awful if Rick had never come back. I think that, like Dale said, Shane was definitely made for this world, but I don't think that's a definitively bad thing. I think that he actually would have been a great leader if Rick never came back. And I think he does make the right choices. However, like Andrea says, it's your delivery that leaves something to be desired. It's the tact again. With the definition of morality in mind, I think that Shane's moral standards are aligned with how he can keep Lori and Carl safe, as always. We talked about his motivations before, and I think that 
even though others may find that his morality is skewed, it makes sense to him because he really is so in love with Lori and he just wants to keep her safe. He lied to her about Rick being back at the farm because his moral compass leads him to make the choice he thinks will keep her and that baby alive, which you could say the same for Rick. But Lori calls him delusional, like you said, and maybe some people do agree that he is, but I don't think that he is. I think that he feels a moral responsibility to her and Carl, and his identity is tied to them now. He even tells Rick, I didn't save them, man. They kept me alive. Lori and Carl basically gave him more of a defined purpose once this apocalypse happened. Before, he didn't have a wife, he didn't have kids, and maybe he didn't even want them before. When society burned down, it may have kicked a new perspective his way. I also really hate how Rick and Lori both think that Shane is delusional, that he loves her. Rick says, he says a lot, you don't love her. And while I understand that he's trying to make this weird love triangle work, they're totally disregarding Shane's feelings, which are valid. The time he spent with Lori was real to him. And for them to continue making him feel silly for feeling this way, it actually really breaks my heart for him. Everything did happen. Lori and Shane slept together. He comforted her watching the city burn. He kept Lori and Carl safe. Those are subjective facts. None of them are lies. It's just their interpretation of that relationship that is different. Even though we may not recognize it, this is just another story about unrequited or forbidden love. And I think that we've all felt this way at least once wanting someone who didn't want us back or wanting the wrong person and not having any power when it came to your feelings for them. And I think that she knows that it's wrong to be with Lori, but sometimes love just happens. In this case, it was only for him. (laughs) And she was probably using him, then that tells you a little bit about her moral standards. (laughs) I also think that morality comes into play when Lori basically tells Rick to kill Shane. That's my interpretation of that scene. I don't know what you thought. Yes, I thought the same. Okay, good. I I wasn't crazy. (laughs) I think that her use of power over both Shane and Rick really brings her own morality into question. It really struck me how clever and almost manipulative she can be. I know that she still feels some guilt about sleeping with Shane, but it's almost as if she just wants to be rid of her past mistakes. She wants Rick to kill Shane so that he's not around anymore. So she's not reminded of their relationship, even though the baby is a daily reminder. (laughs) I think she sees Shane as a problem instead of a person now. And she thinks of Rick as the one to take him out. I mean, you could argue she's protecting her family. I see that. But she feels that Shane is truthfully very dangerous. And we agree with her. He's reckless, impulsive, and emotionally driven. I'm just so intrigued by what she feels is the truth versus how she frames this to Rick in that conversation. She chooses those words very carefully. Which words? When she says, oh, so you killed the living to protect your own? Well, Shane is also very dangerous, Rick. Shane's dangerous. I I liked how she brought those two similarities, which I kind of talk about in my favorite quote area. But um, I just thought that was so impactful. It was just kind of an eerie moment because she was really manipulating him at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, She knew how to work him in that moment. She did. I think that she wants Shane gone because I think with... Dale telling her about Otis, I think it really spotlighted that. Mm -hmm. And so 
I think she became more fearful. And I think it also serves her purpose for him not being around. But I really do think she does care about Shane a lot. But I really think something shifted. Right. Because once you realize someone's capable of killing someone else just because. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know it was going to save her son. And maybe ultimately she was happy with the decision. Mm -hmm. It kind of probably didn't sit right with her on that. Because, oh, he's capable of doing that. And then with the way he said he loves her and he is willing to get mm-hmm. that Rick can't protect her. And you're right because she probably feels weird. She feels like it's her fault that Otis is dead now. She probably carries some weight on her shoulders for that now. And she's yeah. probably, she doesn't want to be the reason for anyone right. else's demise by Shane. So I get that. All right, Diana, is there anywhere else that you saw morality? Yes, with Andrea. Allowing Beth to make her own decision about her life in the state that she was in wasn't her decision to make. What was worse was the fact that she undermined Maggie with the pretense of helping her. She said, oh, let me watch Beth while you take a break. You need to eat and rest. But truly, it was only to serve her own beliefs in allowing Beth to make the decision on her life. I mean, I tried to see it from Andrea's point of view because I know she isn't a bad person. And I think her motivation stems from her wanting to die back at the CDC. She felt that her choice was taken away since Dale opted to stay with her and die with her as a ploy to get her out of the CDC. She felt like she was guilted into the choice she made. But Beth is not in a good place. And she has her dad and her sister by her side, and she is in a heavy grief just coming out of a comatose shock. She isn't in her right mind to make any decision, let alone about her own life. I mean, how would Andrea feel if her sister wanted to die and someone supported it and pushed Andrea away to not allow her to help her sister? That is what she did to Maggie in this situation. I mean, Beth cuts her wrists and then regrets it. Andrea's happy with the outcome saying, oh, she made her choice and she wants to live. But what if she succeeded in her suicide and realized she wanted to live as she was dying? I don't blame Maggie for being mad at Andrea. In fact, I would have been furious if someone came between me and my family. It would not be good because you just don't mess with me and my family. <laughs> That's right, Andrea. <laughs> okay, Diana, did you notice anything else in these two episodes? I did. So Glenn feeling guilty for freezing up and not doing what he should about the bar. He says Rick and Herschel counted on him and he froze. He froze because if he died, he knew it would hurt Maggie. So he was being selfish and thinking of himself. Maggie goes to console him, but he is so upset with himself that he pushes her away. He did not like his reaction in the shootout and doesn't want to be that guy. I mean, Glenn was really disappointed in himself. Uh, Later on, Maggie talks with Lori about Glenn and how he lost confidence in the shootout and wasn't focused because of his relationship with her. Lori basically says, being the woman, you'll be blamed for shit one way or the other and that she needs to tell Glenn to man up. That was almost my favorite moment because I just loved what Lori said. She said, Glenn's a big boy. He's responsible for his own actions and he needs to man up, but never say man up. It never goes well. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) Anything Um, else? Yeah, I also noticed how much I love the earlier seasons of the show. Like you mentioned last week, 
I mean, I really love these characters. They're multidimensional. I like the writing, the directing, the acting. I believe everyone. I mean, I don't agree with all the characters, but I believe them. I think it's so interesting to see the two best friends who are partners and childhood friends go from being that to where they are now. People who are willing to save the people they love with completely different approaches and how that causes such a great divide. I also really love Glenn and Maggie and the relationship. It's so real. It's pure. It's possible, even amongst all this awfulness, which is amazing. The other little thing I noticed was in 18 miles out, while Rick and Shane are driving to leave Randall, Shane sees a lone walker in the field. On the way back, Shane sees the same or another walker. I wondered what that signified, and I happened to find a production note on what was intended by that walker. And it was basically that Atlanta and all the big cities were flooded with walkers, but less walkers were found near farms and small communities. The walker symbolized the growing infection to show that this zombie virus is inescapable, which is terrifying. That is. (laughs) So I noticed a few things as well. Andrea's conversation with Lori about privilege. I'm so mad at her. Suffering and loss is not a contest. Just because Lori has her husband, son, and unborn child does not mean that she hasn't suffered or endured loss. Andrea seems to come from a privileged life before this. Like, she had her family, she went to college, probably had a good job. She looks like she did well for herself. So, if we're going off of Andrea's judgment of others then she actually looks like this is the first time she's dealt with true adversity and struggles. So just because she's pissed off at the world doesn't mean that no one else has it worse, okay? It really bothers me when people try to compete in whose life is worse. Mm-hmm. Like when you say, I'm tired, I only got six hours of sleep last night. And someone says, you're tired, I'm lucky to get four. And I once went to a motivational speech and there was this woman talking and her 25-year-old daughter died in a car accident and how depressed she was afterwards. Then when she went back to work like a month or so after, she couldn't focus as much and she was making mistakes and her coworker finally came in and closed the door to talk to her. She said, I feel for you, Han, I really do, but you need to pull yourself together. I know how you're feeling. I just got a divorce, but look at me. Oh my gosh. I know I'm pushing through and you need to as well. I think that everyone's feelings, their stories and experiences are valid. There's no need to make someone feel as if their suffering doesn't count because Mm -hmm. you think you've been through worse. I don't think that's fair and it's certainly not kind. I think Andrea, while she makes good points sometimes, she needs to check herself and just have that emotional intelligence to be compassionate and open-minded rather than judging everyone, especially Lori. So that really bothered me. But I also, there was another moment that (laughs) involved uh, Andrea. (laughs) Uh, I found myself thinking... Shocking. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And base shocker, just to let you know, Andrea wasn't speaking. So of course, this moment was even nicer. But I found myself thinking, do people really tell stories like this when their loved ones are in the hospital or they're at their bedside? And then I realized that it was like my cynical, pessimistic self talking. Of course, this happens. Shown in so many films and movies, not only because it's another intriguing effect of dramas, more importantly, it's real life. 
I loved the story about Beth finding Maggie's birth control pills. Yeah. And because it's so them, like mm-hmm. you hear Maggie telling that story and you can imagine that scenario playing out. Right. So I love that even when people are in bad health, their loved ones remember the funny, loving, definitively characteristic moments with them. We think of the good, and I really appreciate that moment between Maggie and Andrea. Um, I want to say real quickly, we always sort of harp on Andrea, but I feel like she redeems herself later on. Mm-hmm. Just for people listening and right. that don't know the whole uh, story. So. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. <laughs> there are good Andrea moments. Too. Oh, yeah. We just haven't... We haven't reached them yet. Yeah, we haven't reached them yet. Lastly, Rick and Shane notice that there aren't any bites on the dead walkers. They figure they must have been scratched. And fun moment, since we know that everyone basically has become infected and you don't need to be scratched or bitten to become a walker after you die. And I'm trying to remember, is this what Jenner told Rick back at the CDC? Do you remember what when he whispered in his ear right before they left? Yes, that people are infected. Cool. All right, Diana, it is time for why we love Rick. So why do you love Rick? I love Rick because he tells Shane that they have to have a talk. And then he tells him that he knows what happened between him and Lori and that he wanted to knock his teeth in. But he didn't. And that it wasn't a sign of weakness. I love that Rick can pull out the Rambo card on certain pivotal moments, but also that he's able to restrain himself and think about what the best approach is for himself, his family, and the people around him. What about you, Brittany? What do you love about Rick? I love when Rick tells Shane, there are no rules, man. We're lost. Because they totally are. This world has fallen apart, and without the rules or laws or government or corporations up and running, everyone basically makes their own rules, and that's why Rick really struggles with each decision he has to make. He knows that even though his group is small, every time he makes a choice, he needs to really keep them in mind. He is essentially their government now, and I just appreciate him. Okay, Diana, it's time for What Are You Currently Watching? So I'm watching, of course, The Walking Dead. So season eight, episode 13, Do Not Send Us Astray. And what did you think of that episode? I did not like that all these zombies (laughs) at the hilltop are wandering around and making zombie noises and eating people and the people that are sleeping don't hear it. Okay, we're in apocalypse world. There's zombies all over the place. Why do you feel so safe that you can sleep soundly and not hear zombies eat? And then that one, one falls down the stairs and nobody hears a zombie person falling, you know, all the sounds you'd make rolling down the stairs. And then he gets up and proceeds to bite other people. So I don't know. But it's where they find out that the arrows and everything else that they were attacked with from the saviors Mm -hmm. are infected. I also, I know Daryl thinks that Dwight tried to kill Tara, but I think he was actually protecting Tara because I don't think that the arrow that she was shot with is infected. And I think he did that so that Simon wouldn't do it. But of course, you know, Daryl's like, oh man, look, he's really trying to kill her. I knew it. I knew it. Right. But then now Tara has totally flipped because she totally did not like him. And now she's on his team. I, I think it's good that she recognizes that she was once against Rick. And I think that's a good you reminder. You mean Dwight? No, Tara. Oh, 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 yes, you're right. Yeah, yes. she recognizes that. And, you know, sometimes we forget that. It's been, what, four or five seasons? Uh, yeah. We forget she was with the governor. Yeah. So that's a good reminder to yeah. us. But I feel the same. I mean, I think it was just silly that they didn't wake up. 
But I also found myself not as interested. I know that the season is called All Out War and mm-hmm. this is what it's supposed to be. But I just thought, okay, no one important died again. Henry let out all these people. <laughs> Whoa, my God. Okay, how did Henry have access to the key? It's like, you just leave the key laying around? I don't know. And who is letting the... I know it's the apocalypse, but who is letting this little kid just walk around unsupervised? I just... Uh, yeah. No. No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, you would have people standing guard all... Right, because you were just attacked and everything. So yes. with Henry, you'd think somebody would be watching him. And also with the zombies walking around, somebody would see them. Why is everybody just gone? <laughs> la di da yeah yeah <laughs> it's just like a regular neighborhood like if we were just here you right. know and it's not like that so come on writers i mean i love you the walking dead so i just really want it to get back on track i really have faith that it will I'm just waiting mm-hmm. yeah so. well what else are you watching so I finished Divorce Season 2 on HBO, and I really like it. SJP. It's really good. <laughs> um, it's just the ups and downs of being divorced and raising kids and dealing with your friends and your love interests and your business partners. And um, it was really good Season 2. So I am looking forward to Season 3. I also watched the Roseanne reboot. I loved Roseanne back in the day. It was so hysterically funny. And I do like the current episodes. Um, I mean, there was only two and I did like them. It was very funny. It wasn't up to the previous ones, but, you know, it just restarted. So I am giving it a chance. But it's interesting because Roseanne is a Trump supporter and her sister Jackie voted for Hillary. So in the episodes, they're divided. They're in a big fight. They aren't talking to each other. And so Darlene, the daughter, is trying to bring them together. Anyways, Roseanne wanted the Connor family to represent real families. And she said that Families are split because of politics. I wanted to have families stop the mudslinging and, and start conversations. So we'll see where this goes. To me, it, it kind of goes against what Roseanne stood for for so many years, but people have their worldview changed. So we'll see how this pans out. They have both Beckys on the show. Everybody has come back. All the characters have come back either for one episode or for the whole season. Becky is a... Um, is going to be a surrogate using her own eggs for $50,000, even though Dan and Roseanne don't want her to. And uh, Darlene has two kids and her nine-year-old son is gender fluid. And Dan, the grandpa, is worried about him at school and doesn't want him bullied. And Darlene wants him to express himself. So it was a really good episode. I'm just looking forward to the next one. Um, I'm watching Santa Clarita Diet on Netflix, which I know you have watched, mm-hmm. and it's funny and gross. <laughs> um, I like Drew Barrymore and Timothy Oliphant's chemistry and their characters' relationship. It's fun, quirky, and entertaining. A little hard to get used to the gore with Drew eating people and their parts. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm also watching a Netflix documentary, Take Your Pills. I saw that you watched that too, and I'll let you talk about that, but that's about the prescription stimulant. Adderall. Started to watch HBO's Here and Now with Tim Robbins and Holly Hunter as parents to a biological daughter, but they also have three adopted children who are grown now, uh, but they are from Libya, Colombia, and Vietnam, and everyone has issues. Uh, one of the grown children starts hallucinating about 11-11, which is a thing, and they take him to see a Muslim psychiatrist who has his own issues, and the teenage daughter has sex with this male model and contracts an STD. So it's just crazy. It, mm-hmm. I think it's 
somewhat of a comedy, maybe a, a dramedy. So um, I've only watched two or three episodes of that. And then I watched the DVD Netflix rental Mother, which was an odd movie. And I wouldn't recommend it, but I kept watching because I wanted to know where it was going. <laughs> you know, Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem um, are a couple who live in a tranquil setting and have visitors played by Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer. And then more visitors show up and keep showing up and making themselves right at home, which was driving me nuts. <laughs> I didn't understand why. So, of course, I had to look it up. And I guess uh, Jennifer Lawrence said the film is an allegory where Lawrence plays Mother Earth, who is raped and tormented. And each character is someone from the Bible. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. What about you? What are you watching? I watched Ready Player One. It came out on Friday, I think. It's set in the year 2045. I wanted to see that, so I'm I'm curious to see what you have to say about it. I think it's good. It's different okay. than the book. Have you read the book? No. Okay. I like the book, too, but it's different than the book, only in a few ways. It's set in the year 2045 where people enter a video game like Oasis, mm-hmm. and it's a virtual reality. So... The creator of this oasis passed away, but he left behind Easter eggs. He left behind three challenges. And whoever completes these three challenges first and gets these three keys, they actually gain access to control the oasis. And they get the shares in that company for the Oasis, which, of course, you know, there's big corporations who want to get those keys. They want to control that. But there's these kids, too. So it's a it's a really fun story. Of course, it has its serious moments, and I think it has a social commentary on what is going on now. Mm-hmm. So I think it was really good. Definitely go see it. I also watched Take Your Pills, like you said. It's that documentary about Adderall and just the cultural uh, the culture of taking pills in high school, college, and the corporate world, especially Silicon Valley. And it also talks about how many kids are on medication now because of an ADD diagnosis. And I just wanted to share with you. And I know you saw this too, but I just thought it was a crazy, uh, like, facts about it. So the pharmaceutical industry is now a $13.1 billion industry. And there in the 1990s, there were 600,000 kids on Adderall, and now there's over 3 million. I know. It's, I mean, that was just mind-blowing to me. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was really good from my perspective. And then... Is that kids or people? Kids under 18. Yeah. yeah. And I believe I have a ton of friends who are yeah. on Adderall. Yeah. A ton of friends yeah. who have been diagnosed ADD. So I'm just but like, But when wow. they were young? Yes. Okay. It's, because I think there's a big difference. This movie concentrated on adults mm-hmm. taking Adderall. Right. You know, it wasn't about kids. But they do yeah. talk about kids. And I mean, yeah. I think you got to think about yeah. kids as kids in high school, too, in middle school. And yeah. my son was six. They diagnosed him with ADD. Yeah. And they said, well, oh, I understand that, though. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. But then some people are just like, oh, I just want to take Adderall because mm-hmm. I want to do better in college or I want to, you know, stay awake to do all my work. I mean, yeah. that's where the problem stems. And that's where I was thinking that the numbers increased. But mm. you're saying it was from. I think it's I think what they're saying the kids. is kids. Wow. Um, and that I think that that. The documentary did a good job on shedding light on both the positive and negative effects of Adderall. And, yeah. you know, of course, of yeah. course there's positive to it or it wouldn't yeah. be around. But I think that... They didn't do too much positive, though. Well, they showed people thinking it was positive, right? Yeah. Like they said, people th- thinking, oh, like I got really good grades. I did this. I did really well at work. And people thinking that it made a positive impact on mm-hmm. their lives and it saved them time. It saved them all that time and effort. So I think that they did a good job of showing you that 
some people do believe this is not a bad, it's not bad to use this on a mm-hmm. daily basis. So that's what I thought they did a good job yeah. on. And then I watched The Art of Loving. It's interesting. It's based on a true story. A sexologist fights for the rights to publish her book. Uh, She was the founder of the Society of Conscious Motherhood, which dealt with issues like infertility and contraceptive or contraception. And this initiated more openness about sex in communist Poland. And I think she um, published her book in like 1978. So it was just a different time back then. I also watched They Look Like People. It's an independent psychological thriller about a man who thinks that the world is being taken over by evil creatures. So it's a very interesting exploration of the human mind and just our paranoia with every little thing. The last movie I watched was so awful. I just Mm. want to tell people so that they don't (laughs) watch this. Please don't watch this on Netflix. It's called Honeymoon. It's a foreign film. This man kidnaps his neighbor and brainwashes her into becoming his wife. And although I'm attracted to scary, weird movies and mm-hmm. psychological thrillers, this was just everything about it was bad. The acting, the music, the wow. directing, everything. It was, but I just kept watching it to see what would happen. Like, you yeah, said. yeah. <laughs> so just don't watch it, please. <laughs> and I watched two TV shows, Requiem. So I almost watched that. I started to watch it, and then I didn't. I think you'd like it. So there's this young cellist, Matilda, and her mother commits suicide in front of her. And after this, Matilda starts, like, investigating her mom's life, and she finds that her mom was linked to this missing girl in another city. So it's a very interesting little mystery. And then Tabula Rasa, probably saying that wrong, this woman with amnesia becomes the key in a missing person's case. Don't want to give away too much because it's actually pretty good, so you guys should watch it. All right, Diana, it's time for And the Award Goes To. What was your favorite character, moment, or quote? My award goes to Lori because she tells Shane how it is. He professes his love for her and his love for Carl, and she tells Shane that she told Rick about them. Shane says it was real. <laughs> Lori says it wasn't. And then she proceeds to tell Rick all the things that will get him fired up, as Brittany previously mentioned, in order to manipulate him to handle Shane. She plays a very powerful role in these episodes. Brittany, who does your award go to? I liked the moment when Carl finds out about having a baby brother or sister, and he's just so excited. He says, if it's a girl, we should name her Sophia. And I think they should have named her Sophia, now that I'm thinking about it. Anyway, I just thought it was funny when Lori says, oh, we never had the talk. I guess we forgot. And Carl looks at Dale. So Dale says, don't look at me. That's your father's job. <laughs> so I thought that was a sweet, realistic moment. It could have happened before the zombie apocalypse. Yes, I liked it too. Thanks for tuning in. We're grateful you tuned in and we hope something we said today resonated with you and gave you a chuckle, some happiness, some positivity or inspiration. Please subscribe to our podcast and tell a friend. We would love more members of our TV club. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. We need your feedback. We'll be uploading new episodes every Tuesday. Next show will be on Season 2, Episodes 11, 12, and 13. You can find our blog at the link listed in our description. See you next time. Bye.